Hey, good evening, everyone. Hi. Hey. Rob, that's right, yes. It's really good to be here with you this evening. Um, beautiful Saturday night. <laughs> beautiful Saturday night to be inside and with friends. But it's great to be here and um, look forward to, to this opportunity to open up the Word of God with you. And for me, it's um, just uh, it's my first time back here at the church at Lake Arrock um, since it got renovated and uh, changed. So I was here uh, quite a number of times over the last few years just working with a congregation. And uh, at least one of you were here during those, those times. And... Um, yeah, and this community was worshiping the Lord here, but um, maybe was also at a place just a little bit stuck, like can we say that in a nice way. Sometimes we get stuck in our lives. Is that true? Yeah. And uh, maybe we even get stuck and comfortable. We don't um, cut, know the way forward now. We don't, we've stopped moving and uh, we don't, maybe don't recognize it, don't feel a sense of urgency. And, uh, and yet, in the back of our mind, and I think the, the church family here knew and recognized that there, there should be a gospel witness in this community. They, they, were, they were holding on to that candle and that flame because years ago, uh, churches had come and said, started a mission here and taught Sunday school and said, we should plant a church. And a church was planted here in Lake Arrock uh, by this Mennonite Brethren community and, and uh, continued to bear witness to the gospel and make friends and try to be a gospel light here. But um, this is a new chapter and a new season, and that's exciting. And uh, I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about where you and I are at and moving forward, because it's the start of a new year, start of a new decade even. And uh, so that's what's on my heart. And uh, I want to share from Isaiah 40. And John and Jen are here, and they heard me speak this Sunday. Uh, this message last Sunday at North Langley Community Church. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, yeah, so it's okay. You want to give it? Uh, you know, <laughs> could do it, could do it, yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, so if you have your Bible, we'll be in Isaiah 40. And like was introduced, Chris uh, introduced uh, uh, me that I work with the Conference of Churches now. We are about 100 churches here in B.C., and uh, one of the great things about being in partnership together is that something like uh, the uh, renewed Lake Arrock Church here as a campus of Central, something like this can happen because we, we're, we're partners and we pray together and ask each other, hey, what could we do together to build the kingdom to help each other? And so uh, that's a real blessing that we, 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 we stand together, we stand arm in arm. And we strengthen each other, support each other. We also have a college, many of you know, that's in Abbotsford, Columbia Bible College. And it's a great place for young adults or people of any age who might want to study God's word. That's a, a really good place to go. And uh, also we have our camp ministries that uh, run five camps across British Columbia that are busy all summer long with thousands of young people and kids uh, serving and having a great time and being introduced to the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we also just encourage each other in church planting and seeing, uh, seeing our churches be healthy. So that's kind of the work that I get to do. How, how many of you know Ron Van Acker too? And he worked, uh, worked with, with me. We had the privilege to work together for a good number of years. And um, so good friends. Now, let's pray together and 
And I, I really believe and know, and we've been worshiping the Lord together, that the Lord Jesus is here present with us by his Holy Spirit. He wants to speak to each one of us. He is speaking to each one of us. And he has a particular word from the word of God, which is the word about the living word, the Lord Jesus. And so as we open up this chapter, let's invite the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Jesus to really speak to our hearts particularly. Lord, as we look into your word tonight, we're so grateful that your spirit is here and we consciously right now open up our hearts to your Holy Spirit. Would you uh, impart to us truth, hope, guidance, correction, whatever it is that we need in our lives. And we want to commit ourselves in advance, Lord, to be obedient to your spirit and to your word as it comes to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what I'm, what I'm envisioning t- tonight is that as we look at uh, a chapter from the prophet Isaiah, that God's truth and the message from this chapter would, would just focus in on, on an issue in most of our lives. Probably at some point it will be an issue in all of our lives. And that is the issue of fear. And the reason I'm thinking about this, maybe it's just the end of the year. Maybe it's what's going on in my family. Maybe it's things that I'm wrestling with. But I have been thinking about fear that paralyzes me and others. It holds us back in our lives. It stops us from making decisions. Um, you know, psychologists study this uh, about how the brain works, and I'm, I'm not that. And, uh, but, you know, there's a front part of our brain and there's a back part of our brain. And the back part of our brain, it just, it's the part that operates automatically, instinctively, and very quickly. And it reacts to fear in a certain way. You know, what are the two responses to fear that our brain automatically engages? They begin with F. Fight and flight. Yeah, a bunch of you have said it. Yeah, right. And so, you know, if there's a bear in the room, (laughs) if that back part of your brain goes to work, you know, it's like, I ain't going to fight this bear. How big is this bear? I'm going to run, you know, and and who can I outrun here to keep me safe, you know? (laughs) As long as I outrun these people, I'll be okay. And uh, and then, um, and, and then, but the front of our brain here, it processes things more carefully. And, uh, but, uh, but the back part of our brain just sort of takes over. And, um, and then like uh, one gentleman was saying, it, does, it doesn't actually have to be a bear in the room. There could be a bear in your head that causes the same responses. The fears that are just in our mind causes the same kind of responses. And it can immobilize us and really... Uh, we, we don't respond well, we're not listening well, we're not attentive, and we make poor decisions when we're afraid. And I think a thing that happens to us is we, we, we become paralyzed often, that, that freezing uh, response. So as we look into the new year, uh, is there fear in our lives? I, I, think, I think it's pretty common, actually. Now, we, the last 10 years, uh, you know, we're just reading an article Janet and I, about a person looking back on the last decade and saying, besides all the woe, and everybody says that the world has actually had uh, 10 pretty good years. And, uh, you know, we're all here, and, you know, there'd be a lot we could be thankful for. But when I think about how the media watching the news creates fear, uh, it it didn't take long for me to think of a lot of things that that cause fear. Right, I mean, we've had uh, through media uh, mass shootings, and that always happens like all the time, every weekend. It happened again this last 
you know, uh, week, there was, was shootings and there was stabbings uh, at a synagogue. And, uh, and then there was, you know, an assassination of an of a Iranian general. And then people are talking on the news about, well, what will this mean? And we're going we're to get some attacks and they're going to retaliate and then there's going to be terrorism. So there's fear of terrorism. There's stabbings. There's uh, a people uh, nowadays, you know, you go to a mall and you're in any crowded place. And whereas years ago, it never would have crossed your mind. Now you start thinking, well, I wonder if a dangerous person will do something here because that happens. I mean, my daughter was down in the mall in, in Portland and there was a shooting in the mall while she was at the other end of the mall, you know, and you're like, wow, okay. So this is, this is happening in, in cities and places. And it's, it's not just out there anymore. It, it could be in our communities. It's in Canada. Then we have the sort of nebulous things that we always hear about, like global warming. And it uh, was in the news the other day that um, some school children came home. They were in the Toronto area. They'd been watching uh, young Greta Thunberg give her speech at the United Nations. And the, the two, uh, grade two children came home and they were crying to their parents saying, you know, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. The world's going to end. And, and so the parents were saying, hey, what, what, what are you doing there at the school? You're, you're causing fear to be in the lives of our children uh, about, about these issues. And when my wife and I were talking about that, we were remembering when we were young and in school, there were different things that we didn't have global warming back then. But uh, I remember nuclear holocaust being the thing, right? There would be a countdown clock and you could say, well, this is, you know, what hour is it in, in terms of the nuclear disaster it was it's 11:59 you know we're like a minute away from midnight and that's disaster time and then janet said oh she said i remember in school uh, overpopulation was a thing and then there was a there was also a, a ticker showing the world's population and then the teachers had said you know the world is going to be overpopulated you you probably won't live to see your grandchildren you know the world can't sustain that and so we've always had these things that generate fear and there's a lot of them we get fear of being attacked in our world fear of now as people sometimes we're afraid and this happens both for in the church and among other groups of people so people are afraid that if if someone finds out about like what i believe or what i stand for that other people are going to ridicule me and so we're we're afraid of what we're going to say so children go to school and they're like well what if I say, this reminds me of like my mother who grew up as a school child. She went to school in Russia and it was the communists uh, were in control and, the, and Stalin. And my mother said that her mother told her, do not tell the teacher that we pray. And my mother said there was a Bible, but it was hidden in, in, in the house on the shelves with the kitchen supplies. Don't let anyone know at school that we have a Bible, that we pray with our family. So, you know, when you say, well, it's not that severe now, but still, sometimes children are worried about, and parents are worried, well, what if teachers find out that we believe in a certain way? And other people feel, you know, well, these Christians, they're horrible people, and what if they find out about my beliefs, and maybe they will attack me? And so groups are being polarized and... And there's a lot, of, a lot of cruelty. And then there's online cruelty that's affecting people. Anyway, so many fears that come into our lives that cause us to withdraw. And I, just like uh, what James was saying during uh, even just a nebulous feeling of pulling back. Of, uh, how did you say it? Uh, just general discouragement or just uh, withdrawal. And I think sometimes we're, 
It's fear that causes us to pull back. But God has not called us to fear. God has called us to move forward in the world, to trust him, to live with confidence. And that's what I want to talk to you about. So we want to look at uh, an amazing passage of scripture from the, the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to look at chapter 40. Now, when we're going to open up a prophet from the Old Testament, who is this Isaiah? And uh, he's an amazing uh, man who wrote and spoke to the people of Israel during a time of great crisis and fear in their nation. So this is some, uh, this is some 500 years before uh, Christ's time. And the people of Israel were afraid of uh, being uh, destroyed and overtaken by political powers. There was a political superpower named the Assyrian Empire. And in those days, the Assyrians uh, were the first nation ever to develop a professional army. They had engineers, and they would develop siege works and attack cities, and they were expanding all over the known world. This was like the first uh, uh, global empire, and the way that they intimidated people was through fear. They were cruel, and they let everybody know how cruel they were going to be. And this instilled fear in people. One uh, historian writes this, the Assyrians created the, first, the world's first great army and the world's first great empire. This was held together by two factors, their superior, superior abilities in siege warfare and their reliance on sheer unadulterated terror. It was Assyrian policy always to demand that examples be made of those who resisted them. This included deportations of entire peoples and horrific physical punishments. One inscription from a temple in the city of Nimrod records the fate of the leaders of the city of Suru on the Euphrates River who rebelled from, rebelled from the Assyrians. Here's what is the inscription wrote. The king wrote, I built a pillar at the city gate and flayed all the chief men who had revolted. And I covered the pillar with their skins. Some I walled up inside the pillar. Some I impaled upon the pillar on stakes. So they would chisel the story in and draw pictures and tell everyone, this is what I do, to, this is what we will do to people who resist us. And this caused huge fear among the people of Israel because the, the northern cities, this, this, their brothers and sisters, their cousins to the north, uh, that part of Israel had already been taken over by the Assyrians and terrible things had happened. And so in Jerusalem, the capital uh, there in Judah, Isaiah the prophet was speaking a message to the people. He was prophesying and telling people, warning them, and also giving promises of God's protection and a future for the people. So that message of protection, uh, that would come, you know, some many years later. But the people, uh, they took hope in that message. And so for us today, it's a message of hope. When you have prophecies in the Old Testament, uh, the prophets, they see a message. They bring a message for their time and people, but they also uh, had a message that was for the future, a distant future. Uh, sometimes I picture this like when you come up the Fraser Valley and you're looking at Mount Baker and maybe it's evening time and you know, the dark mountains are in front. There's a mountain and then another mountain and a valley in between. You really don't know how much distance between each valley, but in, you can see the different ranges. And, and so the prophecy is like the first mountain is the present. 
The next mountain is some centuries later. And then the mountains in the distance, that's the future. That's us who are reading today. And the prophecy speaks to us too. Isaiah didn't know that. But the Holy Spirit was inspiring him to give a message of hope to us. So let's uh, look in at this message and uh, look at chapter 40. I don't know if we get these slides up. The first point that we see of this message of hope that Isaiah is bringing to his people starts out this way. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So the first point of Isaiah's message to them is first of all, you notice that he's bringing a message of comfort, of hope to people. And they're very stressed, they're very worried. And God begins his approach to us with a message of comfort. He's reaching out to us with a message of hope. But it's interesting that the first thing that is spoken is this word that your hard service, service has been completed, that your sins have been paid for. And here the scripture reminds us that the first thing that, and and the people of Isaiah's day were aware of this, they were deeply aware that the trouble that they were in, that the Assyrian empire that was coming was a judgment on their people for their sins. They had abandoned God. They had been worshiping the gods uh, surrounding them, the Philistines and the Canaanites. And they had been disobeying God's command to take care of the widows, to practice justice. Rather, they had been filling their own pockets. They had been exploiting the poor. They'd been living for themselves, making up their own way of living, ignoring the covenant relationship with God. And they felt the guilt of their sins. And that was their first issue, their first problem. Now, it's interesting that the Bible addresses this right out of the gate. Now, in our day and time, we're very good at not feeling guilty. We offload our guilt. Uh, it's somebody else's fault. I'm a good person. That person is a bad person. I'm a good person. We've sort of lost touch with the idea of sin. Now, some of you go, no, 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 I, I know sin myself pretty good. And I think that it is something that innately, when we slow down, we do all sense, uh, a deep inner sense, saying, well, if, if God has given me so many things, why why, why why is there such darkness within me? Why, why, is, why is evil still within me? And what does that mean for me? And here, the first message that Isaiah gives is that the sins of the people have been paid for. That she, that Jerusalem has received double for all her sins. Now, when we take a look at that and think about this in our time and our day, uh, friends, uh, God has fulfilled this word so beautifully for us. Just as we sang, our Lord Jesus has taken our sins upon himself. He has paid double. He has paid infinitely for our sins. The people were so afraid of the Assyrians and all the terrible things that they would do. But Jesus took all of the wrath of God against our sin all the evil that Satan would want to do to us to separate us from God, Jesus took that all on himself on the cross. He suffered the consequences of our sin. He paid for it over and over again. He gave an infinite sacrifice, the Holy Son of God for us. 
So right out of the gate, the first word of hope for our fears is, here's a word of comfort. God cares about us and he has taken care of our sins. That's good news. There's nothing in you or I, our guilt from our past. Maybe you have some things that you feel like, well, I don't know if anybody ever knew that I did these things. I would never be forgiven. How can God ever forgive me? I know that's a common thought. I bump into people. It's like, well, I don't know. I'm beyond hope. I couldn't turn back to God. Look what, I do- look what I've done. That's a lie. God has paid for our sins. Double, triple, many times over. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. So that's the foundation of comfort and hope that comes right out of the gate. God says, speak a message of comfort to my people. Their sins have been paid for. This is beautiful. So the second thing comes, uh, and we see that uh, how this message is coming. Verse 4, every valley should be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, all the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind will together see it. Now, when Isaiah prophesied these things, some of you recognize, do you, know, you, do you recognize where we sing these uh, words? Anybody got a guess where those, we'd be familiar with these scriptures? Anybody listen to the, Isaiah, to the Messiah over Christmas? So from Handel's Messiah, that's where these words are. We, we recognize them because Handel recognized that they also, uh, their prophetic words, they were also spoken about a person in the New Testament. Anybody got to guess who that was? All right. Yeah, there's a character in the New Testament stories of Jesus, and he was a cousin of Jesus who came before Jesus. And this is exactly what he said and was said about him. He was the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make a straight path. He said, Jesus is coming. Get your heart ready. This is a picture of a highway being built. And in those days, they didn't have a lot of highways like us. But it was the same thing. When they did build a road, you know, they leveled the ground so that trucks and they didn't have trucks, wagons or whatever they had could pass along those roads, right? Let's level the ground. Let's make it a highway. Why? So people can travel on it. God says, tell everyone... Make a straight path. There's a path to God being made. Brothers and sisters, that's, Jesus is that path for us. He's a path by way, by way which we can come to God. He's made a straight path for us. So it's very, very hopeful. And a voice says, now verse 6, the prophet is talking about how he is receiving this message. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what should I cry? Now listen to this. All men are like grass, and all their body is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. Wow, that's not a very encouraging message. I wrote in my Bible, why I'm not God. (laughs) Because the years will roll by, I wrote, and I will be forgotten. (laughs) That's why I'm not God. I'm not eternal. I'm getting older. I just turned 60. I wanted to say, things that I'm getting afraid of. I'm getting afraid that I'm going to forget things. And I do. (laughs) And as many older people start forgetting things, they start thinking, I wonder if I have dementia. Maybe I do. 
And we get afraid. Every age has things that they're afraid of. But here the Bible is just saying, look up front. Recognize this. Your life is short. You're not God. You're like a flower, like grass. You're temporal. God knows this. But still, even though we are insignificant, God invites us to a life of significance. Though our lives are mortal, they are, we're here for a short time, we are invited by God to have hope, to be people of hope. This is a beautiful thing, and I want to encourage you in this. Don't worry about your life. This is what Jesus said. You know, you're a value to God. He, if, if he has his eye on the sparrow and on the fields, you are of eternal value and significance to him. Don't worry about this. This fall, one of our pastors uh, went home to be with the Lord. His name's Mike Roth, and he was pastoring the Real Life Fellowship uh, in Surrey. Mike was uh, just in his early 40s. I think he just turned 40. He had four, four children. He's young children. And he had a bad battle with cancer that was going on probably for the last 10 or 12 years uh, and recurring. And uh, then about four years ago, he lost an eye to cancer. And then he thought he, it looked like he was doing well. And then um, this spring, it, it really took a turn to the south. And then he, he passed away in October. And uh, when I went and visited him, you know, Mike just said, I'm so thankful for my life. He, God has just blessed me. And he said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm concerned for my wife, Jana, and how she'll do. But I, I could not complain about my life. And that was kind of incredible just to sit with a believer who uh, was, a, you know, a young man with a young family and facing death, but had recognized, I'm a frail person, but I have an eternal hope that cannot be taken from me. Friends, I don't know if this is a fear that you have that, well, what if I get ill? What if my life ends? Listen, God knows our frailty, but he has given us eternal significance. This is a great hope to us. This is a truth that we can get back to saying, you know what? I may not in this life, maybe I won't have time to do everything I want to, but I have an eternity with God to catch up. There are things I won't be able to learn, but I will learn in heaven. There are people I haven't been able to spend time with. I will spend time with them in eternity. And I have things to look forward to. My life has eternal significance. Then let's keep following with what the prophet is saying. Verse 9. You who bring good tidings to Zion, he says, go up on a high mountain. You who bring a good message to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. So he, he's encouraging him. He says, look, you're fearful, but God says, trust me. Shout this from a mountaintop. Be confident. Don't be afraid. Don't give in to fear or fear mongering. There is a God who shepherds his people through every trial. Don't be afraid. What a beautiful picture of God that's given here. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. These words speak of the power of God. Isaiah is saying, listen, God has got this. When it says, you know, he rules with his arm, it's like, I don't know, look at this. Look at this. Look at these guns, you know. God has power. And then in the same token, he says, look, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lamb in his arms. This God is, is 
powerful, but compassionate, tender like a shepherd. What a beautiful picture. He says, trust me. This is our God's message to us. Trust me, I've got this. And listen, no, nowhere has God revealed himself more beautifully than in the person of Jesus, who is our shepherd, who cares for us, who cared for his disciples, cared for the women, cared for the broken, cared for the lepers, cared for his friends, went to the cross for us, rose victorious over death, now is seated at the right hand of God. He has all authority. That's who Jesus is. Such a picture is what Isaiah is giving us. So then, let's look and keep on with this message of hope in verse 12 and following. Here the prophet says, describes it like this. He says, look, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hands? Now, uh, Jewish people were not sailors. Uh, other than going out on the lake, uh, they were not, you know, they weren't the shipbuilders of the, of the other peoples in those times. And, and the Jewish people, actually, whenever they talk about water, they were pretty concerned about it, pretty frightened, you know. When there's storms in the gospel accounts, usually the disciples are freaking out, you know. Like, oh no, there's a storm, we're all going to die. And they, water to them represented chaos and trouble. And, uh, you know, like, I was just interested to read the, uh, you know, there was a ship that, that went down and, and some lives were lost up doing the crab fishing. And, you know, that show, the dangerous catch. And that just happened here the last couple of days. And just think, wow, what that's like. They're out there on the storm and the ship goes down. It's frightening, frightening, frightening. And that's what, what Isaiah is saying. It's like, Look, who has measured the water in the hollow of his hand? Listen, you are afraid of water? God measures the oceans in the hollow of his hand. Who has measured with the breadth of his hand the heavens? Who has measured off, like we call a, a horse, how many hands? This is how God measures the heavens. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and hills in balance? So Isaiah is using the, uh, the, the measurements of his time to show uh, by comparison how great God is. Now, we don't measure things with our hands anymore or, you know, with scales and baskets. We have scientific ways of measuring things. And so when you study creation and science, as a person, this should inspire us with confidence because this vast creation, of course, we know quite a bit more about just how big the universe is than even uh, the people of Isaiah's day. We should be filled with confidence. This is our God. The galaxies are his. Who could imagine? He is more amazing and astounding than we could imagine. This is the picture Isaiah is giving us. God can easily handle creation. Easily handle it. He is able. God is not limited to our paradigms. He's not, a limit, he's not limited by our ability to measure or quantify. God is not confounded by the problems in the world. God is not confounded by global warming. God is not, oops, oh my, I don't know what I'm going to do. He created it. He holds it in his hand. I'm not trying to diminish uh, threats or environmental problems. They, they may be real. You know, science keeps working on these things. That's good. Christians devoting themselves to research and helping the environment. That's awesome. But we are not a people of fear. Our God is in control. He holds creation in his hand. He designs it. Keep reading. He designs it and understands it. 
Who has understood the mind of the Lord, verse 13, or instructed him as, as, as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Obviously, they're rhetorical questions, and the answer is nobody. Now, again, when Isaiah's writing, the people of his day, uh, just like if you were to research the Babylonian and Assyrian uh, creation myths or Egyptian creation myths, they always have like, a, you know, there'll be some kind of a fight going on between the gods or a tug of war or a male god and a female god and then something happens and then, boop, creation came out of a sort of a conflict of a bunch of gods. And it's like a group thing, you know? We have the, you know, the, the Roman pantheon, the Greek pantheon of gods up there in Olympus. And, they, and then God, but for, for the people of Israel, they said, no, nobody else involved just Jehovah, just Yahweh, just the one God. He didn't consult with anybody. There wasn't any female gods. There wasn't any other gods. It's all his creation. And that, it should inspire us with confidence and hope of who God is. He designed it. He understands it. He didn't consult with anyone when he made this world. And uh, he didn't check with Stephen Hawking when he designed black holes. He didn't need Watson and Crick to develop the DNA, DNA molecule. And praise God for Francis Collins who mapped the human genome, but God wrote it. He knows how we're made. So this isn't a diss against science. It's just saying, listen, when we pursue science, we come to the wonder and majesty of who God is. Then verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are, they are as regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. And then he goes to talk on about these other nations. This is helpful for us in our day and time too. See, the people in Isaiah's day, they were super concerned about especially the nation of Assyria. This unstoppable professional army, these you know, cruel, cruel people who built their siege ramps. By the way, uh, there's excavation projects in Israel today. One at the place Tel Lakshish, uh, where, uh, I don't know if I said that right, but that is a, tell is an archaeological description of a mound where they are digging and finding um, uh, artifacts. So this city, uh, Lachish, was a place that the Assyrians had built siege works. And so even currently, uh, the Egyptian uh, or the uh, uh, Israeli archaeologists are there working and digging up the, the remains of what the Assyrians did. And there they find these siege works and the things that the Assyrians did to, to uh, assail this city. But God says, don't worry about the nations. I'm in control of the nations, God says. And they're insignificant by comparison to me. That isn't to say that a country is unimportant. The Bible is very clear that we should pray for our leaders. That, and we're blessed. Canada is a fantastic country, isn't it? We're so blessed. And we should lean in, pay our taxes, do our part for our country, pray for our country, be good citizens to the best that we can. But their power is insignificant next to God's. So if there's a crazy person in charge, which there might be, in some country. I won't name which country. <laughs> we don't have to be afraid. These people have come and go. Come and gone. And God remains in power. Not only does it stop there. But Isaiah says. Listen. 
To whom will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it. A man too poor to present a gold or a silver idol selects wood that won't rot and then gets a craftsman to set up an idol that won't fall over. That's nice. You don't want your idol to fall over. You know, that would look bad if your God fell over. Now, we, we, we don't... So, we, we look at this and we go, wait, how could people do that? But, I mean, they weren't stupid. And the, the, the idols that they made uh, to them were representative of, of the powers uh, that be. And yet, it's easy for humanity to focus and start worshiping the things that they can control or that, that we imagine. And now that's true of us today, too. We still do that. We would never carve an image. But we worship what we make. We worship our science. We worship our intelligence, our technology. We trust in it. But we made it, and we're flawed. We worship our institutions, and they disappoint us. We worship people. We put them on a pedestal and they hurt us. So you can't worship something made by you or me. It's temporal and flawed. As soon as we touch it and make it, it's, it's no better than us. It's flawed. So this is what Isaiah is saying. Worship God. Don't worship idols. Don't worship yourself or something that anyone has made. Trust God. And... So I want to skip to the end as we look at a conclusion because Isaiah sort of reiterates in the next few verses and we'll skip over them. Basically saying, why trust these things? Verse 25, to whom would you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. And then he comes to a point of application. So lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Then verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Why are you afraid? Why do you think God doesn't see your problem? Why do you think that he doesn't care? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Why do we act as if God doesn't care or doesn't know? Jesus Christ has settled this for us once and for all. He came to us to show us the full measure of God's compassion. God knows us and has come to us and loves us. He has sent his very spirit to indwell us. He's personally with us. He cares about every one of us and cares enough to sacrifice his life for us. So with all this knowledge about the character of God that Isaiah has reminded of us, let's ask tonight, what is it in my heart, in my life that I'm afraid of? What anxieties have been like a shadow in my life, slowing me down, stopping me, maybe immobilizing me from making a decision, from moving forward, from trusting God? I want to invite you to join with me just to quiet your heart right now. Close your eyes if you don't mind doing that. And uh, let's invite the Holy Spirit just to uh, show us fears and anxieties in our own life.
Let's quiet our hearts and just ask the Lord to speak to us. Where are things that we have been afraid of, that we have been focusing on and caused us to doubt his care, to doubt his power? Come Holy Spirit, show us, each one of us, the fears, shine the light of your truth upon us. Now I invite you to uh, just consider uh, and focus your heart on this. God knows you. He knows your fear of rejection, your fear of inadequacy, your fear of failure. Your fear that you are too weak and unable or unable, that you're too frail. And he comes to you. And he says, trust me, my child. Trust me. I am the everlasting God. I made you. I'm enough for you. Move forward. Take a step forward. Take the next step that I have for you in obedience. Follow me. Lord, we thank you that you are able and you are a faithful shepherd, that you hold all creation in your hand and all the nations and all the things that we are afraid of. And we thank you that you invite us forward in obedience, in following you, and taking responsibility for our lives, for our relationships, and our families, and our work. You want to shine the light of your love and grace through our lives. Lord, I pray as for myself and each one of us that we would make decisions and live our lives in confidence in this year ahead, not driven by fears. And give us a, a deep awareness of when fear is creeping in. Lord, when the shadow of fear comes over our lives, I pray that you would help us reject it and remember, no, we are confident we have a God who is for us, who, who has all these fears in his hand, who has ability and care for us so bless us we pray in this for your glory in Jesus name amen